Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning. So if you've been around Church of the Redeemer for a while or even for a week, then you know that people around here like to talk about food. Lena Van Wyck, our farm director, has preached more than anyone I know and on our preaching team about the role of food in the shaping of God's people throughout the story of God in the Bible. And her husband, Judson, has also talked a whole lot, lot about food his food habits, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and the role food has played in the shaping of his belly. And last week, Melissa Lukowitz, our youth pastor, confessed that she is addicted to Hop Burger Bar. It's true. I've seen this addiction at work in her life. Believe it or not, I have learned a lot over the years from these very gifted people. And they're talking about food. That eating is actually central to worship. In fact, throughout the Bible, the people of God always worship at the table. And this is true for the church. Christians come to church to eat and drink. So this morning, I'm going to talk about food, and I'm going to attempt to make meaning of all that is going on in the scripture lessons we just heard read, especially Jesus' words when he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, they will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would cultivate in us understanding to know and believe and confess the life that you have given for the life of this world. That you would help us to make meaning and understand not just mentally, but practically in our lives, in our lived confession, the truth concerning what we consume and how it determines who and what and how we live. We pray this in your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Quite simply, we are what we eat. By raise of hand, how many of you have heard phrases like this? You are what you eat. All right. You are what you see. Or you are what you think. You are what you love. There are many phrases like this, idioms, that help us make meaning of our lives because they cause us to reflect more deeply on what we see, what we think, what we consume, what we love, and what consumes us, our thoughts, and our gaze. These sayings have a way of forcing us to think about who we are and what we are, as well as how we are, who and what we are. You tracking with me? The things we love, think about, look at our objects of our desire and we attach our affections to these things we love we see we think we consume and with time the things we love the things we think about and gaze upon have a way of influence influencing us 
they literally give shape to our lives, both individually and collectively as a community of faith. In other words, what we consume determines the lives we live. We can see this most easily with the food that we eat, right, Justin? As he's drinking coffee. But this is a principle with far-reaching application beyond the food we eat. This is a truth that rings true with almost everything that we consume. Books, websites, televisions, podcasts, music, just to name a few. Think about it. If you chose or choose to read books and listen to podcasts primarily about business or productivity, then your mind is going to sharpen its focus on those things. You will begin to see the world in a particular way and then begin to act accordingly in light of what you see and consume. If you choose to receive your news every single morning from the Drudge Report or Fox News, you will arrive most definitely at a much different worldview than someone who consumes their news exclusively from CNN and MSNBC, and for the young ones in the room, equally so with The Daily Show. If that's your only source of world news, then your worldview will become defined by it, and you will act accordingly. Even the music we listen to shapes our minds and our hearts. It carries dramatic influence on the focus of our minds throughout the day. And I think this is important. Because what we choose to consume determines the direction of our lives. So if we are to be the community of God, if we are to become the community of faith that God has called us to be, to live life in communion with God, then we must reflect well on what we love and think and see and eat and why. We must think deeply on these things because they shape the way we understand the life that we speak and preach and proclaim and announce when we confess that Christ died for the life of the world. We must carefully consider these things because they get to the heart of what it means to be the church, the body of God. In Christ. And this morning, our scripture lessons provide good food for thought as we consider the food God tells us to eat and the life we are called to live in communion with God. We are what we eat. The biblical story begins with God creating a world where human beings are presented as hungry creatures and the whole world as our food, along with the commands that God gives to Adam and Eve to name things rightly, to procreate, to steward the gift of creation, God instructs humanity to eat of the earth. At the center of Eden's garden sanctuary were fruit trees, good for food. God says to them, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, every tree which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, Genesis 2, 29. To put it simply, in order to live, we must 
eat. God fashioned us in this way. Our lives are dependent upon God's provision of a world that God says we must take into our bodies where it is transformed into ourselves, into flesh and blood. God fashioned us to consume life from the earth that gives us life. And the life we consume, we know is life given. Food provides our bodies with nourishment and energy, vitamins and minerals. Yes, if you're only eating meat for 36 days, it does that too. Through this process of consumption, there is death and resurrection. There is transformation from life to life. Theologically speaking, this transformation is an act of transfiguration, which simply means something that is transformed into something more beautiful and elevated. I mean, think about the story of Genesis 1, where God forms and fills the shapeless void. God takes hold of the world. He breaks it down and puts it back together in new ways, assigns a name, and pronounces it as good. And in the image of God, we are made to imitate the creativity of our Creator. God fashioned us to live and work in this way, to grasp the world, to shatter and reassemble, to rename and to assess things as good or bad. We are made to plow and plant, to cultivate and harvest, to pulverize grain into flour and to mix and bake, and we call it bread. We are made to squeeze blood from grapes and to manage its fermentation and call it wine. And after the transformation is complete, another transformation occurs when we take these things into our bodies and transform it into ourselves, flesh and blood. This is why we as Christians believe that there is a transcendent purpose to every and all of the work of our hands, our lives, and the whole of creation. We are what we eat. And God presents to us the whole world as one all-embracing banquet table. In fact, throughout the whole biblical story, this image of the banquet remains the central image of life. It is the image of life at its creation, and it is also the image of life at its end and fulfillment. That you and I, as Jesus says, may eat and drink at his table in his kingdom, Luke 23, 30. From the beginning, we were created to partake of the gift of creation, which is nothing less than the gifts of God. The things we make and enjoy are God's gift to us. Now, there's another layer to all of this, and it's very important. As we heard in our Old Testament lesson this morning, Deuteronomy 8, the people of God are reminded that they cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, which is why the food we must eat in order to live is not only given as food for nourishment, 
but it is, is given to us by God and given as communion with God. All that exists is God's gifts to us, and all that exists exists to make God known to us, to make our lives communion with God. It is divine love made food, made life for us. And God blesses it all. In the language of the Bible, this means that everything God created is a sign. It's a means of God's presence and wisdom. A means of God's love and revelation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not only does God bless every gift of his provision provision for us, but God does something amazing for us and to us and with us. God calls us to bless him for the food and life that he has blessed us with. God calls us to return blessing with blessing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Praise his holy name. God calls us to bless him for the food and the life that we receive from him. And we are uniquely made to respond to God's blessing in this way. To respond to God's blessing with our blessing. To partake in the gifts of God as we offer them back up to God with thanksgiving. We are to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Our Psalm 34 Verse 1 this morning. So to receive and give thanks for God's provision in and for our lives is central to what it means to worship. In fact, to receive from and bless God in return, to thank God, is in many ways to love, to think, to see the world as God loves, thinks, and sees it. It is to partake of the gifts of God in what we Christians call a sacramental way. And what I mean by this word sacramental is this, that the act of blessing God of both receiving the world from God and offering it to God is a holy and unifying act. With thanksgiving, we partake of the life that gives life so that we can live life in and with the life of God. And this is the way of life. This is life with God. It is the way of God. In our Old Testament lesson, Moses recalls God's provision for the people during their 40-day journey, 40-year journey in the wilderness. And this reminder comes at a time when the people of God were on the precipice. They were on the border of entering into the promised land. They were becoming more abundant and nearing the land that God had promised them, which was full of abundance. And the reminder is actually a warning to the people of God. And the warning is this, do not forget that everything that you need in order to be a people in the presence of God, everything that is absolutely essential, I have given to you here in the wilderness. And all of it was communion with God. 
God led them through the wilderness. God humbled them. God tested them. God fed them. God did these things in order to make them understand this, that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, Deuteronomy 8.3. Here God reminds his people that the manna which sustained their lives in the wilderness was given as a visible sign and means of the one who is able to create, the one who is able to give and sustain life, God himself. God sustained the people in the wilderness with food that was unknown to them. And this food was spiritual food, decreed by the word of God. They had manna because it came from God. And here's the catch. It wasn't bread that kept them alive, but God's word through which the food came. The food they had to eat in order to live was given as communion with God. So what we discover here is that at the heart of Moses' reminder or warning to the people of God to keep the commandments of the Lord by walking in the way of God and by fearing him, verses 6 and 11, is a call to live life in communion with God. It's a reminder to taste and see that the Lord is good, to partake of the gifts of God that give life so that they could live life in communion with God. Communion with God is what made the people of God the people of God. One of my favorite memories about food is eating breakfast when I used to visit my grandmother up in Eden, North Carolina, about 25 minutes from here. You know, whether I was spending a weekend there with my family for an entire week in the summer all by myself, my grandmother would always rise early. She would put on a pretty crappy pot of Folgers coffee and begin pouring her love, her energy, and her life into making homemade scratch biscuits. You know, if my family was there, then I was always the first to wake up, and 99.9% of the time, I would be finished eating before anyone else made it to the kitchen. And this would drive my mom and dad nuts. They are what they eat because they wanted us all to eat together. What they wanted was the same thing I wanted, but I wanted it all by myself, all for myself. You see, they desired communion, to eat as a whole family with grandma, whereas I wanted to eat with grandma all by myself. Now, there were certainly some sinister motives at play in my heart because I knew that if it were just me and grandma, she would, by the age of five, let me drink coffee with a lot of milk and a whole lot of sugar early in the morning. I also knew that her eyesight wasn't the best, so she'd never tell me not to put so much honey on and butter on my biscuits. But beyond the coffee, milk, and sugar, beyond the most amazing biscuits of my life, what I realize now that I wasn't able to grasp then is this. What I really miss is the energy, 
the love and the life of my grandma that was an essential part of my childhood. It played a shaping role in my life. You know, my grandmother was very wise, and I'm pretty sure she knew what was going on. But what she knew was that I needed that the most. She was always ready. She was always willing to welcome me, to sit with me, and to listen. To give of herself, her energy, her love, and her life. What I miss the most is not brain octane or sugar. I can get that almost anywhere. What I miss is communion with grandma. Because spending time with her shaped a good bit of the person I am today. Who I am. What I am. And why I am who and what I am and how I am. This is just a little picture of what I think is going on with food and worship. Communion with God was everything the people of God needed to be the people of God. Communion with God was everything they needed to be who God called them to be and to live the way God called them to live. And the true thing is this. The same is for us, the church, the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus in our gospel lesson this morning says it stronger. Verily, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of God, of man, and drink his blood, you have no life. You have no life in you. You're the walking dead at best. In our gospel lesson, John 6, Jesus reveals to us that in the same way the manna in the wilderness was intended to sustain the lives of God's people and was given as communion with God, he himself is the bread of life. He himself is the bread of heaven. God made man whose flesh and blood is given for the life of the world. John 6, 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, they will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You know what Jesus offers us is more than just a piece of bread that fills us up one moment and is gone the next. What Jesus offers us through his body and his blood, through his food, is communion with him, communion and life with God. This is the food, beloved, that leads to life eternal. Bread that feeds us with God's own life. Divine love made food, made life for us. This is the food that determines our lives, who we are, what we are, and how. We are to live. And for us here this day, whether here in the sanctuary or live streaming, 
for us who confess Christ as Lord, Jesus says this, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. For whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in them. John 6, 56. You know, in this church, week after week, we gather in this place. And while there are some minor changes from season to season, the service is pretty much the same week after week, isn't it? There's a lot of familiar things that we do when we gather Sunday after Sunday in this place to offer worship and song praise and blessing and offering, feasting on the word of God and thanksgiving. And of all the things that we gather to partake, there is no more important act than our participation in this meal, Holy Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, where we feast on the food that determines our lives. The culmination of creation transformed into bread and wine through the works of our hands, grain transformed into bread and grapes transformed into wine. And then it's transfigured as it's blessed and lifted up as the sacrament, which is the visible sign of spiritual grace given to us by Jesus Christ as a sure and certain means by which we receive grace, the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Holy Eucharist, we remember and we proclaim that in order to live, we must eat. And that what we are called to eat is that which gives us life, communion with God. In this meal, we receive the gifts of God, and we offer them back to God in a holy and unifying act. As we bless God and one another, we lift up our hearts to the Lord, and we celebrate our life with God. And with great thanksgiving, we partake of life that gives life so that we can live life with God. In Holy Eucharist, we are assured of who we are, that we are living members of the body of God's Son and heirs of the eternal kingdom of the Father in heaven. In this meal, we renew our relationship with God as we receive God's gracious invitation to live life in communion with him, to be a part of his body. To say it more boldly, Holy Eucharist is the heart of Christian faith and practice. It is a holy practice for a holy people who have been called into a holy life. It is an act whereby we are bound to the body of God in and through Christ Jesus, who is our salvation. And this is why in 1 Corinthians 10, 
St. Paul says that we are one body because we partake of one loaf. In this meal, God draws us together, uniting us with his life and uniting us to each other. And we believe that Jesus is really and somehow truly present in this act. And when we partake in this meal, the church celebrates who God says we are. The new humanity gathered to Jesus. The body of the Father's incarnate Son, knit together by the Holy Spirit. You know, Holy Eucharist is not some dull, repetitive practice that lacks meaning. Nor is it a time where we grab that which God has on offer. It's not a time where we receive bread and wine as passive recipients either. No. It is what makes the whole of Christian faith and practice meaningful. To be incorporated into the gift itself, God's self, the body of Christ. In this meal, we bless the kingdom of God. We declare it as our goal, which is the end of all of our desires. It is the goal of all of our interests of our whole life, the ultimate value of all that exists culminated in the partaking of this very mill. And when Holy Eucharist is celebrated constantly throughout the world in faith, in this way, you're going to have to trust me on this. It turns our world upside down. It announces that the center of the universe is a wafer of bread <laughs> that represents life, God coming down from heaven made man in Jesus Christ, whose flesh, whose blood was given for the life of the world. Hidden in this mill is the truth that revolutionizes the entire world, that sin is forgiven, that death is defeated, and that the resurrection is real. For us who have tasted and who have seen the goodness of the Lord, who have found the core of our lives in communion with God, for us there is no alternative. We cannot want anything more or imagine nothing greater than to be a part of the body of God, to be a people gathered around the altar of Jesus Christ in whom alone our glory, and true freedom. To receive Christ in the Eucharist, to adore him, to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is to commune with God himself. It is to receive the gift of God, which is God himself. Jesus says, I am the living bread who came down from heaven if anyone eats of the bread, they will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verily, truly, I say unto you, sisters, brothers, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man 
and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So with a sincere heart, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Because, beloved, this is where heaven and earth meet. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.